Hello and welcome to the Tea Leaves Podcast, where we sit down to have an ongoing conversation on the Indo-Pacific century, brought to you by the Asia Group. Hello, I'm Kurt Campbell. And I'm Rich Verma. Today, I'm very excited to chat with Kurt about something a bit different from what we normally talk about on the show. And I believe it's a conversation our listeners will find interesting. Now, here's a little background. During his time in the State Department serving as Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia and Pacific Affairs, Kurt has been instrumental in advancing and supporting the search for Amelia Earhart's Lockheed Electra plane in the South Pacific. Amelia Earhart, along with her navigator Fred Noonan, went missing in 1937 during her attempt to become the first aviator to circumnavigate the globe. Kurt is very passionate about this topic, which has remained one of the greatest unsolved mysteries in both American and Asia-Pacific history. And so, Kurt, we're uh, really excited to talk to you about this today to go off uh, the geopolitical script for a little bit. Descent into darkness Uh, and sanity. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, But I think it's fascinating, and it's gotten a lot of attention recently, and we will come to why that's the case. But let's go back and just even really connect the dots for the listeners. How does someone like you get interested in this subject? Thanks, Rich, and I appreciate the opportunity. So, uh, Rich, when you and I served together, I was the Assistant Secretary for Asia and the Pacific. And when you think about that, the obvious places you think about are the big moving pieces of Asia. So China, Japan, the countries of Southeast Asia. But there is a vast territory, the Pacific, uh, with dozens of island nations that get remarkably little attention that are hard to get to, frankly. And these are places where American soldiers, sailors, and Marines fought bitterly during the Second World War. We have a legacy there. My father uh, served during the Second Mm. World War in the Pacific. And I've always been fascinated about both that period, the 1930s and 1940s uh, in the Pacific, and also our history and legacy there. So when I was Assistant Secretary, I managed to visit almost all those countries. Some of them are really hard to get to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Several of them are terribly challenged by climate change. Many of them won't exist literally in a decade or so. But as part of that process, I came in contact with some of the key people that have been searching for Amelia Earhart and her plane for decades. And these are like modern day, you know, kind of uh, hunters and you right. find them in bars right. and they're, you know, kind of, it's it's pretty romantic stuff. And I got to engage some of them on, on my travels. But did you, um, I, I think back to, you know, my knowledge of Amelia Earhart probably came from grade school, you know, where we learn about her and a, textbook as a famous explorer with the ending of her story still unknown depending on who you who you talk to yeah I mean did did you have much more of a background than that in well I have daughters and I'm grateful that she is often taught as a model of adventure and uh, risk-taking she played a very prominent role in the 1930s a friend of Eleanor Roosevelt you know she's the first woman who was widely you know kind of commented upon for her attire she wore pants most of the time she drove pu- in public she taught Eleanor Roosevelt how to drive wow. 
She was adventuresome. Uh, she was quite uh, an authentic American archetype. And this adventure to try to circumnavigate the globe was the top story of its time in the mid-1930s. Yeah, and this was already on top of this incredible record of achievement. Yeah. Uh, flown across the Atlantic, the Atlantic, breaking all kinds of records. And also, yeah. probably not her intention, but also, as you point out, becoming this role model, leader, uh, breaking of stereotypes, shattering all kinds of uh, glass ceilings at that particular yes, time. exactly, Rich. And so, so, you know, she went missing in 1937. This is a period where sort of darkness is descending on the Pacific. The Japanese are building a secret air base, a, a naval and air base not too far from there. The United States is beefing up our military engagements in Pearl Harbor and other parts of the Pacific. There's a real sense that, you know, uh, struggle or war potentially right. is looming. And so she is making her trip in that larger context. There is a major debate, as you sort of allude to, among people who follow this world. And people divide very hard into camps. There is, I think the dominant group believes that she simply ran out of uh, fuel and crashed into the Pacific. And, and this is what the U.S. Navy concluded exactly. uh, and, and, year, decades and, ago. And most of the more prominent aerospace and others, uh, you know, observers believe that that is accurate. Then, then there is a small fringe group that has to be put in the category of sort of, you know, Trumpist, uh, <laughs> you know, false fake news. This idea that she was either captured by the Japanese or, you know, ended up having this secret life later. I think we can dismiss that, right? right? And then there is a smaller group of people that believe that she landed on an island and survived for a period of time. And uh, I got to know some of the people that were in this latter category and have read much of uh, what's been written about her disappearance. And I will simply say, you know, you're always looking for data and evidence, Rich, that is hard to explain. Um, in the days after her disappearance, there are what I would judge to be credible reports of ham operators across the globe, but, you know, on warships, on military bases, even, you know, in suburban residential areas that picked up what they believed to be um, communications from Amelia Earhart, suggesting that she'd landed on a desert island and that, that she needed rescuing. The only way that happens is if she did, in fact, land and that these communications require her to be somewhere where she was able to land and use her, her radio to communicate. Uh, and if you think that is credible, that there are literally dozens and dozens of reports, then you start to look at what are the potential options. And this one island... Nikamura, small island in the South Pacific, a classic coral atoll that's small, you know, area sticks up above the waves and then descends dramatically to thousands of feet. Mm. Um, that's that's the island that we're referring to. It's it is about as distant and away from society and you know developed countries as you can get. Mm. 
Let's go back to that period of time and maybe give us a sense of where she was and where she was trying to get to. Yeah, so she was making her way across Asia. She'd been in Papua New Guinea. There was a series of islands she was going to have to hop, skip, and jump across to get to Hawaii. And this was by far and away the most treacherous period because, you know, in other places, like if you're flying over land, you know, you can find places to potentially land in a crisis. Here, you're flying over open ocean in difficult circumstances in which um, the weather and other factors can play havoc on your navigational capabilities. Now, her um, navigator, Noonan, was very well regarded mm -hmm. as a navigator, and he had been effective in his role and responsibilities to that point. We do know that it appears that she was lost and unable to find where she was uh, seeking to land. And at that point, then that's where the debate begins right. about what happened to her. Now, you mentioned the certain radio signals that were picked up. There's also now a real debate over this photograph. Yeah. A and tell us about the photograph and where it comes from and then how you actually were presented with this yeah, photograph. So, so, yeah, so again, I, I got to know the group. It's called Tigger. It's a historical uh, society of, of, of really amateurs who've made themselves into professionals who search for lost aircraft. They right. look for aircraft across Asia. They've been relatively successful, and they've right. been looking for this for Amelia Earhart's airplane for over a decade. So uh, Rich Gillespie is the head of the organization. I met him on Vanuatu. Uh, we talked extensively. Mm -hmm. He was trying to get the rights to be able to search for the airplane again. And what was found, we worked together, and I supported, have supported him and know him since. Um, when I was at the State Department, I wanted to do an event for with Secretary Clinton to celebrate women aviators and adventure, and and we were going to celebrate his upcoming mission to look at the island. I, I think others at the time at National Air and Space Museum were like, "This is crazy! You can't right. do this." Right. And so, you know, I had been in the Navy with with a guy named Bob Ballard, famous for finding the Titanic and and other things, the right. Bismarck. He's a very well-known explorer. Brought him in and showed him some of the evidence that we had collected. Most particularly was a photograph called the Bevington photograph, which is there was a British surveyor that was making his way through the Pacific and took a series of pictures. At Nikomuro Island, there is a tanker off to the right that in this picture that has gone aground. It's but the, the picture is from the late 30s, right? I mean, 1937, okay. about three or four months after okay. Amelia Earhart, you know, supposedly uh, crash landed on this island. And what it looks to be, there's a smudge, or something that's pick, sticking up from the water, but there shouldn't be anything there. It's in the middle of an area that is uninhabited. And so this particular um, object uh, was initially magnified and it looked like it was something mechanical. It was brought to me. And so I took it to some specialists in the US government. They used capabilities to enhance it many, many times. And then once that image was refined, 
I took it to specialists in the Pentagon who are responsible for looking at satellite and other imagery to tell you what it is and what it means. These are people who look at the right. sides of aircrafts and they look at a bump and they say, well, that's a new radar, that's a new anti-aircraft system. And in that process, the you know I could see myself that it looked to be a hooded wheel mm-hmm. sticking up from uh, the water like an upside down airplane. I took it in, asked um, some of the specialists who were um, you know working in this, and they said this looks like the kind of capability that you originally saw in the 1930s on airplanes that are flying longer distances, and instead of just having the wheels permanently deployed, they fold up into the airplane, like now, right? Right. right. And and there is a cover on that that reduces the air drag. And that cover, that hood, is visible in these in these photos. So so I took these photos and I was worried myself because all the colleagues that I served with at the State Department, including you, Rich. They thought you had lost lost it. my yeah, mind. Exactly. And I asked right. Bob Ballard, right. is this something that we should do? And I was nervous because I thought, oh my God, I'm I'm my right. my very limited credibility is about to be shot. He looked at it and he said, This is worth exploring. This is and he looked at all the evidence and all the data. And so he supported, and he was the key speaker at our event. Mm-hmm. And Clinton, Secretary Clinton was very grateful, and we had a nice, gracious event with women pilots from all over the world. And it was terrific. And Gillespie launched that month and went to the island to search for the airplane. The problem is to do a search justice needs technology and capabilities, side-looking side sonar, uh, magnetometers, others. He just didn't have those capabilities. Right. And so he came back empty-handed, and there have been he's found things on the island that are interesting, yeah, I mean, but not decisive, but right? Maybe we should just say a little bit about that because that has also been controversial. Yes. There's been discussion of, of bones that have been found, a sneaker or sole of a shoe, sole of a shoe, you know, and so, and so makeup if, things, right. all of which are potentially interesting. There's a you know kind of a uh, a sextant cover. Interesting, most of them have been shown to be uh, from other sources. Right. There if, are, yeah. if you fall into one of these camps and you're a believer already <laughs> about yeah. the island theory. Careful, Rich. Right, you're, coming, right. you're coming right after me I here. Know, no. yeah. Then, it, then it start, you start to piece yeah. things together that maybe you shouldn't piece together. But exactly. this, but this um, kind of evidence of aircraft could actually be the decisive piece it could be. And, and so what's hard, Rich, is I don't think anything has been found, anything that is absolutely decisive or indicative of like, yep, she went down here. But there are a series of happenstance things or uncertainties, the picture, the the communications, the bones, the clear signs of habitation on an island that was supposed to be uninhabited in 1937. You go on and on and on. And it is enough to say, I want to explore this thoroughly. And I would be of the view that it is one of the great mysteries of right. the 20th century, right up there with the Titanic, right. actually. But let's let's catch people up. So now, you know, fast forward a bit. That This was, uh, gosh, six years ago. Six, or seven years ago. Seven yeah. years ago. Yeah. And yeah. You, so then I, that I was hospitalized. Exactly, <laughs> right. You were treated for your, uh, for your various ailments. But 
but a lot happens in that period. Yeah. Uh, Gillespie comes back and empty-handed, yes. but Ballard starts it, thinking and planning his, about himself. Our, yeah. our mission. So, so what was great about an explorer, Ballard was very supportive of Rich, said this is a great thing, you should do it. And, you know, Ballard is a, in this world, is a god, and Rich is still trying to make his name. And I was still incredibly impressed. I, I learned a lot about how Ballard treated him, mm -hmm. right, with great respect and encouragement him and supported him but I think he knew that he that I think Ballard knew that that Gillespie did not have the capabilities necessary so Ballard started quietly plotting and thinking he has a ship that is absolutely state-of-the-art called the Nautilus which has every possible capability right now he's reaching he's beyond retirement age actually right. but he's reaching that stage where he's trying to encourage a new group of uh, people to yeah. basically to explore. And so he's training and supporting, which is terrific, a group of very accomplished women uh, explorers that will basically come up in his wake. So right. they have deployed, um, and as part of the National Geographic, to do a deep search of the island, to map it, to track the coral reef around it, um, but also they're putting anthropologists uh, on the island who are going to go into these crab dens. And let's just remember, this is an island that is inhabited by coconut crabs that are extraordinarily aggressive. Wow. Right? They're about three feet long, and they're powerful, and they can crack a coconut oh, yeah. in their claws. So the bones that have been found on the island and that were taken off were not enough to amount to a complete human skeleton. What we think we see when these crabs devour something is that they take parts with them into their mm. little caves that they live in. And so these anthropologists have excavated in the hopes that they will find bones that they can then do DNA analysis on of the kind that we do in Vietnam from uh, the uh, sure. end of the, uh, of the Vietnam War. Now, they are just coming back now. Um, early reports are that they did not find the airplane, but we don't really know much but yet. The, but the search, as you describe it, was about more than the airplane. It was the totality of the kind of mapping the island, as you said. Everything. everything. So they're, they're, they're yeah. looking for trace elements. And they're going to get back, and then we'll, they'll have a press conference, and we'll learn more about what's the next steps. Um, as you think about, you know, the back to the photograph, which is fascinating, did Ballard or others say, look, it's been 80-plus years since that picture was taken? Uh, even if that was the plane. It's a great question. What, What's left? What is the likelihood, given yeah. the conditions out yeah, there? Yeah, such, such a good question, Rich. Yeah. So, so basically, the Lockheed Electra is made of uh, some aluminum, wood, some other uh, coverings, and it has two engines and then a metal spine down the middle of the airplane. There have been lots of speculation about what exactly would be left, mm. right? It's possible that only small pieces of the engine would be left, right? Mm -hmm. And those could be scattered across dozens, maybe hundreds of miles. And so it's very difficult to know what would actually survive. And they haven't really done modeling on, you know, these are islands that are hit with monsoons and hurricanes, and it's possible that that the airplane was swept, you know, further away from the island. 
it's just hard to know. Um, I'm anxious to hear what he has to report when he gets back, and then you know we'll figure out you know what the next step is. I will tell you, I was I thought that I would have a degree of closure no matter what. If they found terrific, if they didn't, I would think to myself, think well, at least we've given it our best shot. Right. I can be satisfied. I'm not going to be satisfied. I can feel it already. I'm still, you know, wanting to explore. Uh, Kurt, so bring us up to speed. You mentioned Ballard's expedition and and the fact that we'd have to wait uh, to see what they come come back with. But where do we go from here? Is this or can this be closure? And what would you say to the people who would say, look, people have spent plenty of time and resources. You've given this a, a good faith effort. It's, it's time, to, time to move on. Uh, sound very much like my wife. <laughs> she's, she's made this argument a couple of times as my daughters have quietly when they think I'm asleep. Like, right, shouldn't, right. shouldn't Papa be doing something else? Right. So, uh, yeah. But, I think, but it gets to a larger question, which is why is this story important? Yeah. Well, look, I do believe she's an iconic figure. And I do think that, you know, as we've discussed, the when she was lost, what she represents in American history. We're living at a time where there's not much to get excited or hopeful about. It feels like every day we're buffeted by horrible news and terrible developments. And so there is something in this hope, in this search for Amelia Earhart. I, I'm surprised myself at my lack of closure. Um, I want him to go back. I want to go back. I want to find, I, I want to be clear. And I'm not sure what it'll take for me to really feel like uh, we've closed the book here. Right. I want to uh, maybe close where we started, which was your description of the Asia Pacific and specifically the Pacific Islands. And you got Secretary Clinton interested, and you went and traveled widely. And then you gave this very harrowing description of that region kind of pre-World War II and what it was like. But maybe just take a step back for people listening or for other um, um, Americans. Why should we care yeah. about that region? And what are some of the challenges they're facing? And you know, what, what can we do? Thanks, Rich. A great question. So Look, the, the, in many respects, the great game is underway in Asia. Uh, again, every major island outpost that you travel to has massive infrastructure developments and commitments from China. You see Chinese ships, uh, both fishing and some military vessels that are plying the waters of the Pacific. And so I think you're going to see more of that kind of competition more generally. But at the same time, I would argue that we have a moral legacy. I mean, our forefathers fought their desperate military campaigns during the Pacific War in the 1940s. My father served there. I also uh, have been to these islands. I've seen the suffering. Some of the worst indicators of health 
uh, anywhere on the planet are on these islands. Tremendous challenges with poverty, with malnutrition. Climate like change. Climate change. So the, the, the stakes are enormous. Uh, it's incredibly challenging. These are distant areas on the globe that are hard to get to, but I still think are important to America's uh, Pacific destiny. It's interesting. So you laid out a strategic case, but you also laid out a, a human case that people really are looking uh, for some assistance in some basic areas, whether yeah. it's health or education or development. But also, you know, I think about what various secretaries of defense and state have said from both parties that we are a Pacific power yes, and should and will remain a Pacific power. And there are days, I think, where some of us question whether that's still possible. Yeah, I, Rich, just in closing, I will say I've been to, you know, dozens of these islands, and on many of them you'll find small, generally isolated memorials to the troops uh, both American, Japanese, and others that died on these islands. They're rarely visited. They are sun-swept, uh, sand, and, you know, occasionally a sort of a battered flag. Um, it's incredibly poignant. Um, but it really is a reminder of the role that that arena played in modern American foreign policy and national security. And I'd hate for us to completely forget those lessons as we confront the new challenges of the 21st century. Great, great reminder. Uh, thank you for that reminder, but also thank you for bringing this incredible story of courage and of Amelia let's keep, Earhart. Let's keep searching. We are, apparently. <laughs> and uh, no, I, I, it's fascinating, and we're going to be watching. And and again, just thank you for what you did to bring it to, uh, to America's attention, along with so many others. So, Kurt, thank you for, as always, an interesting conversation today. We appreciate it. And to our listeners, please be sure to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, Rich.